0: Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto thee that the government is upon thy shoulders and that in these troubled days we have the assurance that it is not the will nor the purpose of man that shall prevail, but thy judgment, thy justice, and thy plan for the redemption of all things through Jesus Christ. Give us grace so to walk that we may always, with a holy boldness, walk by faith and trust in Thee and know that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. In His name we pray. Amen. Our scripture is from Matthew 7, 7 through 11. And are subject, to The Assurance of Answers to Prayer. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish will he give him a serpent? If he then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him. The Sermon on the Mount is action-oriented, and therefore it is also prayer-oriented. And in this passage we have assurances given to us concerning prayer. Our Lord's brother James in his epistle gives us like assurances and commands. He says in James 1, verses 5 through 8, and verse 17, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord." A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Our Lord's words here concerning prayer are a command. The same is true of what James has to say. We are told that we are to ask in faith nothing wavering, that if we waver, if we are uncertain as we go to God in prayer, we are like flotsam and jetsam in the sea that the waves of the sea drive to and fro and carry about. And as such, we are not heard by God. We are commanded to be instant in prayer also by Scripture. For to be lazy or slow in prayer means that we prefer our way to God's and that we trust in ourselves. Hence our Lord's words are very blunt. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Three requirements in the imperative. Ask. Ask seek, knock. Moreover, something is required of us as we ask, seek, and knock. We have this in verses 13 and 14. Enter in at the straight gate. We are required to have a disciplined life. Then again, we are given a warning in verse 15 beware of false prophets, so that prayer requires of us a disciplined life and a true faith. Then we are required to ask, seek, and knock, to be instant in prayer. The meanings of verses 7 and 8, I think, were never stated more clearly than they were by an American scholar of about a century and a quarter or so ago, D.D. Whedon. And Whedon's comments on verses 7 and 8 are worth quoting in detail. And I quote, Ask and it shall be given you. Under the threefold symbol of asking, seeking, and knocking, all the expressions of our desire are, are included, rising in the force of climax. Our bounteous Heavenly Father has a corresponding response for each. For the asking, he has gifts. For the seeking, discovery. For the knocking, admissions. Coming into the kingdom of God and under his paternity, we have the child's right of petition. Gifts, even the highest gift is Holy Spirit and much more all lower gifts suitable for us will he grant. And the only limitation of our asking is that we confine ourselves to the proper relation of the child. And the only limitation of the gift and so of the promise is that God will give only what is suitable to his character as father to grant. The child cannot expect to command favors out of his proper sphere or at the improper time. Of these, the parent is the wise judge. So the child of the Heavenly Father must not interpret this promise licentiously, as if God would obey his orders at the moment he chooses. The promise only affirms that, unlike the Gentile, he enjoys the privilege of accepted prayer and receives the returns that the infinite Father sees best. Seek and find. To seek is a stronger act than to ask. Not everything is obtained by the means and at the moment of uttered supplication. What we are to seek first, we are told in chapter uh, 5, verse 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness in opposition to all those things which the Gentiles seek. And in that kingdom, revelations of wisdom and goodness of experience and attainment are granted to him who earnestly employs his day and strength in seeking, Unquote. Whedon's comment is very important because too often the temptation nowadays is to associate our Lord's words here with modern psychological claptrap, like the power of positive thinking and possibility thinking. The emphasis here is not that it is our asking, our thinking, that produces the results, but that we as children are to go to the Father who alone can give us all these good gifts. Now, nothing is better adapted to make us ready to pray than the conviction that we are going to be heard. If we do not believe that God hears and answers prayers, we're not going to be very prone to pray. If we think our words are just going up into space, as it were, our prayers are going to be vague or meaningless. We are told to pray as we pray to a father when we ask him for what we need. True prayer is not a last resort, but a first resort. Just as a child's first thought when they want something is to run to the father and mother and say, Can I have this? True prayer Thus is a first resort. Our Lord then, after commanding us to ask, seek, and knock, and assuring us that we will be heard and answered, says, What man is there of you? Whom, if his son ask red, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? Now, our Lord was a Galilean. In Galilee, the staples of the everyday diet were bread and fish. So our Lord is talking about what he had earlier taught his disciples to pray for. Give us this day our daily bread. And he says, Can you imagine a father who when his child runs up and wants food, will give him a stone or a snake. The idea, of course, is ridiculous. And so he says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? We, with all our sins, and people we know who are unconverted and are positively evil, and yet even such people will regularly try to be good to their children, provide them with food, and by no means give them a stone or a serpent. Now, our Lord says, If a human father will do so much, how dare you not expect more from your Father which is in heaven? How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Now at this point, when we turn to Luke, there is a difference between what Luke says, our Lord declared, and what Matthew says. Well, scholars are prone to making a problem of uh, such duplicate texts. It really is no problem. Our Lord did repeat himself. He traveled all over Judea and Galilee, and again and again made the same points, taught the same parables as he instructed people from one end of Palestine to the other. And at times, in terms of a particular context, he made a different emphasis. So we have Luke's account in Luke eleven five through 13, of our lord in a different place giving similar teaching this time we are told the entire teaching was specifically on prayer let's turn to luke 11:5 through 13 and he said unto them Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I will say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him for a fish a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If he then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more so shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, as you can see, there is a difference in this occasion in what our Lord has to say. There is a difference in the gifts, and the other, it's the gifts we need day by day for our living, our daily bread. Here it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Moreover, On this occasion, our Lord begins with a parable of the friend at midnight. And he adds another illustration when he says, or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? In other words, our Lord is even more emphatic on this occasion. What is the difference, and what are we to make of this? Why the gift of the Holy Spirit on this occasion? The contrast in Matthew is daily bread, daily lives, and all the needs we have. But in Luke it's daily bread and then the Holy Spirit. Quite a difference. The meaning is this. The parable of the friend at midnight tells us the story. What if you were disturbed at midnight by a friend who says there's no place at any of the motels? I've been on the road all day. I had an accident. I was delayed. I could not get here until now. I haven't had anything to eat because it took me so long to get my car working. Could you put me up and feed me? Well, you will be annoyed, but you will let him in because he is your friend. You will wish that it won't happen again tomorrow night, that you're disturbed the same way as I have been this past week almost every night with a phone call around midnight and then phone calls as early as 5 a.m. the next morning. The sad fact is that uh, people call before 8 o'clock to get the reduced rate, and they don't realize that before 8 o'clock, Eastern Standard Time, is before 5 o'clock, our time. So it is annoying. It can be. But you don't show it, do you? You're very tired the next day. But you do get up, you provide for them and you're courteous on the phone. Our Lord has a point in that illustration with which he begins this teaching on prayer. And now, what about us? All right, we have a problem. So we go banging on the gates of heaven with our prayer, saying, Lord, help me, bail me out. I'm in trouble. And it's at midnight, as it were. And what does he say? He will give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is a remarkable statement. Not only does the Lord say, I will provide for you in your emergencies, when you are like that man who beats at your door at midnight, the Lord God will do the same for you and will not only hear and answer you, but he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit so that he who moves us to pray becomes himself our comforter and assurance so that we are not outside of him as it were, but he becomes a part of our lives. And so our Lord is saying, just as the child is is to be confident of his parents as far as his daily needs are concerned, so that a child never stops for a moment to say, maybe my father and mother are having trouble with their bills. And maybe work isn't too good now, and perhaps they may not be able to make the payment on the place, so it's possible I may not get my meal. No, the child never assumes that. The child goes, knowing his father and mother love him, to be fed. He asks without a doubt. This is why our Lord says that we are to become as little children in relationship to God the Father. And so he says, God gives us the Spirit in our emergencies so that we may have that kind of childlike trust, so that when we're up against it and we feel as though we're banging at the gate at midnight when we will be most unwelcome the Holy Spirit in us and through us leads us to cry out, Abba, Father, knowing that he will hear and answer our prayer. So that our Lord teaches us in these two incidents to pray without ceasing, to ask, to seek, and to knock, and he makes clear that our Father will give us every good gift as he, a Father, sees our needs and that he will, if we indeed go to him, give us the trust and confidence in prayer so that we are not unstable and double-minded and tossed by every wind of the Air on the wave of the ocean, but we know our Father, we go to him. We ask and we are heard, we seek and we find, we knock and it is opened. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank thee that thou hast taught us to pray and that we can come to thee with all the assurance of a child to a father, knowing that thou art ever ready to hear, and thou hast given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us to pray freely, crying, Abba, Father. Make us ever zealous and joyful in prayer, that we might indeed receive thine every good gift. Grant us this we beseech thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any questions now on our lesson, first of all? Yes. Uh, kind of a general one on the sermon. I have heard put forth that the Matthew's version of the Sermon of the Mount was not accurate in terms of Christ actually sitting down and saying these things at one time, but was somewhat licensed in the fact that Matthew put together the accurate sayings of the Lord in this manner so that it might be more readily understood. Is is there anything to this, do you think? Yes, that's a very common opinion among uh, liberal scholars, that uh, not only is that true of Matthew, according to them, but true of all the Gospels, that the evangelists collected those sayings that were of interest to them and put them down in the order that they wanted. However, while there is a grain of truth to that in that each of the Gospels are written by a particular man in terms of a particular concern an audience so that they have a particular audience in mind. Just as when a speaker gets up, he may give the same speech two or three times as our Lord spoke repeatedly on the same thing to many people, the speaker will vary it in terms of the audience. But beyond that, we know that this was not so because uh, there is no way of explaining away the Sermon on the Mount in terms of its entire structure and content. It's on a mount. That's a very significant fact. Because where did Moses get the law? From Mount Sinai. And he speaks about the law. Moses said, Thus saith the Lord when he came down from the mount. And our Lord said something no rabbi or teacher had ever dared to say. I say unto you. So that at the conclusion we are told that the people were astonished because he taught not as the scribes and the Pharisees, but as one having authority. And by authority, they mean in the absolute sense. So, he was saying, Moses heard the word of God from the mountaintop. I, from another mountain, as God incarnate, give you the word. So, the whole of it is so carefully structured in terms of that. Moses gives the Ten Commandments as the summation of the whole law And then he gives more. Our Lord gives the Beatitudes. Well, the Beatitudes uh, or blessings or the pronouncement of uh, a blessing upon people is something that in the Old Testament it was clear only God could do. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and so on. Which was the main benediction of the Old Testament? It's the Lord who blesses. But Jesus pronounces the blessings now. So uh, both the words that he there speaks and the setting are so obviously tailor made for. each other and for a unified purpose that here God incarnate speaks and makes clear the meaning of his law that you would have to say that if Matthew put it together and invented it he was better than uh, our Lord because he was able to take materials and piece them together in so remarkable a manner so uh, the the uh, Unity there is so clear and in such a great harmony with the setting. Any other (coughs) questions or comments? Well, if not, we shall continue in our next meeting with our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular with the Golden Rule, one of the most misunderstood of verses in the Bible, which in one form or another appears all over the world in a number of cultures and religions and yet with a very radically different meaning. So we'll deal with the uh, golden rule in particular detail because it is so very important.